Continuing on with pump education from Armstrong, I wanted to bring up pump tip number 15. Um, I published this on social media a couple of days ago, and it pertains to pump startup. Now, a lot of times you see suction guides being installed on the inlet of a pump. A suction guide is basically a 90-degree angle with turning vanes and a strainer. All right, now, that strainer stays in there permanently, but just before is a startup strainer. Okay? That startup strainer must be removed after 24 hours of operation. Because 24 hours of operation, you're going to catch all the fine stuff that might be still left in that system. So if you leave that startup strainer in, it can get clogged and it can cause issues with flow and cause issues with the entire system and that pump. So remember, guys, if you install a suction guide before a pump, after 24 hours, shut that pump down, isolate it, and remove that startup strainer. For more information, head to armstrongfluidtechnology.com. This podcast is sponsored by Armstrong. HVAC Know-It-All is sponsored by Testo, Yellow Jacket, Refrigeration Technologies, True Tech Tools, Armstrong, and Field Pulse. Guys, as I mentioned on the last podcast, there's a bit of a change to the way True Tech Tools gives out discounts with Testo products. Now, if you have a True Tech Tools account, you can go to a link and answer two questions, and you'll be given a preferred pricing on their website to Testo products. I'm going to leave that link attached to the True Tech Tools logo on my website. So go to hvacknowitall.com, click on the True Tech Tools logo, and it'll take you to the link where you answer those two questions. And once you've done that, you'll receive preferred pricing on Testo products. All other products, you can save 8% on your purchases with promo code KNOWITALL at checkout. That's besides Fluke and FLIR. Everything else is an open door. Welcome back, guys, to the HVAC Know It All podcast. I just wanted to thank everybody um, because over the last four months since we started the HVAC Know It All podcast, we've gotten 20,000 downloads or just over in four short months. So I need to thank you guys for engaging, listening for whatever platform you listen on. It's much appreciated. Now, on this podcast, we're going to speak about a few things based on an article that I wrote a few months ago. Now, I forgot that I wrote this article, to be quite honest with you. I was going through my website, hvacknowitall.com, and I came across it, and I read it, and I'm like, wow, this is a good, this is a good podcast topic. Because not everybody reads articles. Some people like to, would prefer to listen to a podcast, so I'm going to kind of speak on some of the things that were written in that article and and go read it too, if you like. So the title of the article is called don't be scared. It's only HVAC. Now that title, there's a meaning behind that title. The HVAC trade is stressful. And trust me, I've gone through a lot of stressful times in this trade. A lot of times where I thought I wasn't good enough. I felt like a man on an island at times. You know what I mean? And if you've been there, I've been there too. You're not alone. And I know a lot of other techs that have been there. Sometimes your boss is a dick. 
Sometimes your coworkers are a dick. Nobody wants to help you, and you're stuck with a customer breathing down your back trying to get them up and running. And if you're new to the trade or if you walk into a new piece of equipment that you've never seen before and you got to pull out a 50-page manual and the customer sees you reading it, hey, why are you reading that manual? You should know what you're doing. They don't get it, all right? But I get it. I get it. So the title of the article was based on a conversation I had with a coworker many moons ago. And the conversation, we were talking about the stressfulness of the trade. Now, we came to the realization, hey, it's nuts and bolts, compressors, oil, some refrigerant. We're not doing open heart surgery on a five-year-old child. That may help put it into perspective for you. Because, listen, you're doing open heart surgery on a five-year-old child. One little fuck up, guess what? If you're doing a compressor change and you screw something up, hey, you might cost somebody some money. You might get a customer pissed off at you, but you're not going to put someone's life in jeopardy or their health in jeopardy. So that that helps for me bring it to back into uh, perspective. And I've used that example many, many times with a lot of apprentices that I've worked with and tried to teach. So coming up on this podcast, I'm going to go through some things that I used to do and a story of success that had a little bit of failure um, intertwined into it that I overcame and, and it created a lot of confidence for me. So this is the HVAC Note All podcast, guys. I'm your host, Gary McCready. Keep listening if you felt defeated in this trade. So back when I was... Um, in the early years of the trade, our company, we used to do a lot of, um, take care of a lot of server rooms. We used to, uh, we had one company that managed uh, server rooms all across the greater Toronto area in Ontario and Canada. And they were a fairly large company and we had a lot of server rooms that we took care of. I mean, anytime you were on call, chances are you're getting a call to one of these server rooms because they are high end. Um, very critical environments. So I used to do a lot of the installs. We used to do Liebert's, CompuWares. Uh, we started to do Mitsubishi, um, Mr. Slim's, and City Multis. Now, we were doing a, uh, a hospital job for one of the server rooms in the hospital. And it was a uh, it was a re and re. We were taking out two older units and we were putting in two brand new CompuWare machines. So we had to pipe it in, set the units. And we were getting close to the end of the job. And for some reason, I had pulled the solenoid coils. I had pulled the solenoid coils off of the valves. I, I can't remember for the life of me why I did this. But I turned the machines on at some point with the coil still pulled. And, and if you're not aware, if you have a coil for a solenoid and you energize, energize that coil and it's not attached to the valve, you'll burn that coil out in seconds. Now, 
I had called my boss and I had told him what happened. Now, I was expecting to get a shitstorm thrown at me for that. He was upset, but not the way I thought he would be. So he actually came down the next day and he spent the day there going over some stuff with me. Um, and he told me what had happened. And he explained to me that it's, it wasn't really my fault. And I was like, whoa, wow, I'm actually hearing this <laughs> from him. But it wasn't my fault because I didn't know. Nobody had ever told me this before. Okay, I've never made that mistake again. Because I learned from it. And I think that's, I think that's what you need to do. You need to have the mindset of, hey, I don't mind if I make a mistake if I'm going to learn from it. And I think you need to, to get that into the heads of your managers and bosses. I know that might be difficult because I know some people are stubborn, right? But that's part of learning this trade. That's part of being an apprentice. That's part of even being an experienced technician. You're going to come across things that you've never seen before or you don't know. And the only way to learn is to fail. Fail often and fa fail early is, is, a, is a quote that I had heard somewhere. And it, that sticks with me because it's so true. Anybody that's ever invented anything significant to the human race has gone through failure upon failure upon failure until they got it right, until they got it correct. And every time they failed, they learned something. Okay, so you have to have that mindset. Okay, I might fail today, but when I fail, I'm not going to droop my head. I'm going to take that information, and I'm going to use it to be a better technician, a better person. And I'm going to take that forward with me. So after we got through... Uh, talking about the coil and going through some of the stuff on site. My boss said something to me that, that again, sticks with me till this day. He said, if something dies, something fails, take it apart. Look inside of it. See how it works. See what happened. Because when you do that, you're going to learn. You're going to learn a lot. First of all, you're going to learn how it comes apart and how it goes back together. You're going to learn what's on the inside of that, what makes it tick. And for the techs that don't do that, you're going to be a hell of a lot smarter than they are. And I took that to heart. I took that to heart and I started doing that with everything. I started taking hacksaws to filter dryers. I would even take little relays apart even though they're, they're difficult at times to do that, I would take them apart and look inside. I would take boxes of little parts like uh, ignition modules, for example. And if it came with a little, little slip of literature, I would read it. Even though in the past, all I would just take it out, put the new one on, wire for wire, start it up, boom. I would actually take that little piece of literature out and I'd start reading it. And I'd start doing that with everything. Okay, I would take, I would take, if I, if I was on a maintenance, okay, I would take two or three diagrams 
take the panels off, flip them over, and take my finger, all right, and I start at Y1 or W1 or G, and I take my finger and I'd run it across that line. And when I got to something that had a label, I'd look at the legend. And I'd go back and then I'd keep moving along until I understood it. And that was the only way that I overcame reading wiring diagrams. Was to put my finger on that line like a kid and start moving it across. But it worked. It definitely worked. Another thing that I did was I'd just start taking my meter and I would do all kinds of crazy things to it. I'd put it on, put it on um, incoming power to ground or to common, go across things, things I wasn't even working on, just so I could see what the what the power supply was, what the current was, what the voltage was to certain different things. So you need to do that kind of stuff in order to create a base knowledge for yourself. Because I'm telling you right now, without a base knowledge, you're not going to be good at this trade. You need a base knowledge. Who cares if you don't know how a 100-ton chiller works that you've never seen before when you walk up to it? I don't care about that anymore. If my boss tells me, hey, I got this brand-new 100-ton chiller. Nobody's ever worked on it before. In a building we've never been to, I need you to go there and have a look. I don't. I don't feel threatened or frightened by doing that anymore because I've developed a base knowledge along the way. And all you need is that base. Once you have that base, you can go in, you can pick up that 100-page manual and read it. And because you have a base, you'll understand it. Okay, sometimes you might have to stop and go, what does that mean? Call the manufacturer, call tech support, and just continue on that path. And don't ever be afraid to pick up a manual and read it in front of the customer. I tell customers this all the time. I said the amount of equipment, the amount of equipment that is out there is ridiculous. Everybody has their own way of doing things. There's hundreds of manufacturers. Okay. Flash codes or, or fault codes and units, they're all different. The way things are wired are different. The way things operate, the order of operations are all different. Don't be afraid to pick up a manual and call tech support in front of the customer and just explain to them politely why you're doing it. The trade is ever-changing. Auto mechanics. I used to take care of a um, Mercedes-Benz warehouse. And inside, they had a training center. And anytime a brand new car came out, or anytime they made a change, these training centers were filled up with these experienced technicians getting training on this stuff. Unfortunately, now I can't speak for everybody, sometimes your training might not be there. Sometimes your boss might not send you for training and you got to figure it on your own. Some companies are good. You get training constantly and it's seamless. But some companies don't provide that training and you got to figure out on your own. So don't feel bad when you pick up that manual. Okay, that manual is going to give you information. That tech support line is going to give you information to be a better tech, to support that customer even better. You're not going to be playing guessing games. 
once you know how that machine works. But in order to do that, you need that base knowledge. You need to start taking things apart. You need to read those little bits of literature. Sometimes you need to go back and reference your basic material from when you were in school or when you were a first-year apprentice. Sometimes you need to do that, but it's very important to develop that base. Okay? And keep in mind, guys, you're not doing open-heart surgery on a child. You will get there. Just have that confidence in yourself. And anytime you make a mistake and you learn from it, the next time you go back and you do that specific task without making that same mistake, that means you've learned from it, and that's going to build your confidence up. 100%. So in the next segment here, I'm going to talk about um, a couple of chillers that I had to modify because we were having some real difficulties with low-pressure transducer alarms. And I was told by the manufacturer that I, that I shouldn't do it, and there was no way to do it, really. And I was told, good luck. So I'm going to tell you about that coming up next. I will beat it into your head eventually that going paperless is the way to go. I got a crystal ball at home and once in a while I pull it out and I've looked into it and I can see no paper in the future, none whatsoever. So going paperless is in your best interest. I've got some bills I go paperless with at home and it's worked out great. Field Pulse can help you with your transition to paperless work orders, quoting, invoicing, fleet management, all-in-one service business software. Start your 14-day free trial at fieldpulse.com forward slash HVAC know-it-all. So onto this chiller that we had some problems with, or chillers because there's two side-by-side, -side, um, 100% redundancy. Okay, they're both the same model. So about four years ago in the Toronto area, we had this thing called a polar vortex. I've never heard of this before, but we had one and we got the temperatures with the wind chill down to the minus 40 range. Now, for those guys that don't know, minus 40 in degrees Celsius and degrees Fahrenheit is the same thing. The scales, they match up at that point. So that's how cold we were. And I know in some northern um, provinces in Canada, cities like Edmonton, they deal with that all the time. But we don't, so it was a little difficult, and basically what was happening is I, I got a call in the middle of the night, and these chillers, they were not uh, producing uh, the chilled glycol for the uh, the server room, and the server room was, was getting warm, and there was chiller alarms, and when I arrived, um, the chiller was having a hard time starting up and building pressure, because it was so cold outside. Now, the only way I could get these things going was to jam a whole bunch of gas into it, overcharge the hell out of it. It's the only way I could get the pressure up enough so it wouldn't shut off on low pressure. Now, I was there all night, and it was freezing. So I went home uh, to get some sleep, and I told, um, I told the office that someone's got to go back first thing in the morning just to check on these things and make sure they're okay. So a couple hours into sleeping, I get a phone call from the two techs that went down there. 
and the chillers had actually shut right down. Now, the reason they shut right down was because there's a, uh, a thermistor that measures the outside temperature, and once the temperature gets to a certain point, the chiller locks out. And there is no way to set that differently. It was at the lowest setting. So what they had to do was take that thermistor, put it in their hand, and hold it to get that temperature up. Trick the main control board to think it was okay for the compressors to come on. So that wasn't a fun experience. That was a real shitty experience, especially because these chillers um, serve fan coils, Liebert fan coils that serve a pretty big server room in a bank or for a bank. Now, the way we fix this is we upgraded the receiver heaters and we also put heaters onto the evaporator bundle as well. So we stripped down the insulation. We had electricians come in and wire, um, wire up some circuits to provide power for some heat trace cables, some self-regulating heat trace. And we wrapped the hell out of these um, receivers and evaporator bundles re-insulated it. There was thermostats on them so they don't kick in to a certain temperature. But ever since we did that, I mean, we get down to these temperatures now. Now we're keeping that receiver warm. We're keeping the pressure of the refrigerant up. So when that solenoid goes to energize to close the low pressure switch, there's an inrush in of pressure because as you know, or if you don't know, when you raise the temperature of refrigerant, you also raise the pressure. So that's how we fixed that problem. We also added extra crankcase heaters to the compressors that are controlled by a thermostat. If it gets below a certain temperature outside, we bring them on. So that was a fun experience, um, but we got through it. Now, the same two chillers uh, later on in the spring, we kept having these issues with... Um, alarms triggering and these alarms would be intermittent and they'd happen out of nowhere and we couldn't figure out what the hell was going on and these alarms pertain to the suction pressure transducers now pressure transducers are basically a pressure sensor that converts pressure to an electrical signal so we can read it out on a display so we'd arrive suction pressure transducer alarm we'd reset it everything would be fine it would run for weeks and then it would happen again so it happened four or five times so the pressure transducer setup was the transducer a cable harness a transducer board and then the main board which the transducer board plugged into this so there's four parts to this so I took one circuit of one chiller and I, re I replaced the transducer, the cable, and the transducer board. And a few weeks later, the same thing happened. Now, the next step you think would be to change that main board, because maybe the main board is, is the problem. But it's a three or $4,000 microprocessor. We're not, not going to change that and then it have, have, have it happen again. It doesn't make any sense. So I'm like... We have to do something different here. 
think outside the box. So what I said to my boss was, I know mechanical low pressure switches work. Okay. So I want to change these things over to mechanical low pressure switches. But there's a few things that we had to figure out before we did that. One, the units are smart. If the suction pressure is, does not rise above a certain point, the compressors will not start. So we can't, we can't just remove the transducers from the board and then think everything's going to work. So we had to size up a resistor, put it in place of where that transducer um, enters that main board. So now the chiller thinks that the suction pressure is around 110, 105, somewhere in that range, PSI all the time. That's what it thinks. So we lost the ability to read the suction pressure on the control board, but not a big deal. That's why we have gauges. So the next step was to figure out how we're going to implement these mechanical low pressure switches. Well, one, I wanted to add in a low pressure bypass. Okay. So I got a generic timer. And we implemented a low pressure bypass. So basically, we're giving six or seven minutes of compressor startup. We're bypassing the low pressure switch. So even if the pressure is low during that time, it's not going to trip out on low pressure. Because in the wintertime, things take time to build pressure because it's cold. And even with the heaters, yes, it still takes a little bit of time to build that pressure up to get us going. So we put in mechanical low pressure switches low pressure bypass timers. Okay. And it took a few different diagrams that I had to drew, draw out different wiring scenarios, a bunch of chattering contactors until I got it right. But that was about, like I said, about four years ago, three and a half years ago. And since then, everything has worked fine. Now I called, um, these were McQuay chillers and I called tech support and I told them what I was going to do and they thought it was interesting but they they wouldn't really bless it I guess uh, for lack of a better term and they basically said good luck because they weren't really going to help with this transition so I did it and got these things running with mechanical low pressure switches and we've never had an alarm since okay because the customer was getting pissed off. Why is my chiller alarming every four or five weeks? And why can't you guys fix it? So sometimes you got to think outside the box and sometimes you got to go through this trial and error process. Okay. But see all of that, what I did without some sort of base knowledge of the way things operate, there's no way I could have done that. No way in hell. So guys, develop that base knowledge. And when you do stuff like that, when you modify a chiller to run differently than the way it was designed and it does it properly, that's going to build so much confidence in you. And you don't need to start with, obviously, a chiller. Try it with other things. Try it with smaller things. Things that are having problems. I'm not telling you to go up to a unit that's running perfectly fine and start modifying it just because you feel like experimenting. Because you might screw something up on a system that's working okay. But if you're experiencing problems, 
sometimes you got to think outside the box to fix it. So basically the gist of this podcast was just to talk about some trial and error stuff. And if you're getting your head down in this trade because you find it difficult at times, just, just be aware that it happens to everybody. There's some people out there that are just very, very smart and intelligent, mechanically inclined, and they just pick things up like that. But for most of us, it's, it's a learning curve. Okay, there's a lot of aspects in this trade. There's refrigeration, which is, a, which is a science, essentially. Okay, there's gas, electrical, learning how to use certain tools and all these new tools that are coming out, all the new products that are coming out and constantly changing. So if you feel like you've hit a wall, we've all hit a wall at some point. And don't worry about making mistakes if you learn from that mistake. As long as you learn from it, don't make the same mistake over and over and over again, because that could become a problem. Learn from your mistakes, keep your head up, and keep moving forward. You guys have an awesome day. Happy HVACing.